0: Welcome to the Weather Channel podcast. I'm meteorologist Heather Tesh and I'm here with meteorologist and frequent podcast host Linda Lamb. Hey Heather. And I'm with producer Nikki Budnick. Hey, how's it going? I'm great. How are you? Oh, no, I'm good. Just hanging out, you know. Just hanging out, yes. <laughs> hanging out, doing a podcast. All right, so yeah. today, today we're going to talk about several things, including a look at what weather you can expect for the week ahead. We've got a low that, you know, is going to be stalling out near the East Coast and could bring days of rain to the Carolinas. We also have a really big international story. We have a tropical cyclone in the Bay of Bengal and it is aimed at one of the world's largest refugee camps. So we're gonna get into that. And finally, we're gonna to talk too about the impacts of the coronavirus and how that's affecting weather and weather forecasting. So Linda, let me start with you. I think what is interesting is we've been talking a lot about tropical weather in the Atlantic this week, but you know, when you hear the word tropical, that's a huge headline. It captures a lot of people's attention, but there's actually something else that will have a much bigger impact on the coast So tell me more about that low-pressure system.
1: Yeah, so it's actually looking to be an interesting week weather-wise for much of the East. We have a very unusual weather pattern. Uh, We'll have a jet stream where we'll have more of an, uh, it's called an omega block which will kind of make systems a little bit stuck in parts of the atmosphere. And as that develops, an area of low pressure will be moving into the east and it will kind of get left behind there. So we'll see that upper level low linger in the east. We'll see a surface low develop and it will stay there for several days. So the interesting part about this forecast is even the tropical component of what is expected to be Arthur will play a role in this. Uh, The exact track of Arthur remains to be seen at this point. There has been a trend a little bit closer to the coast. As we head towards early next week, we're not exactly sure where it will track and even if it does pretty much just move on off to see some of the moisture the tropical moisture could feed into the low pressure system over the east will which will enhance rainfall and that will lead to you know some locations potentially getting several inches of rainfall exactly where we'll see the heaviest rain we're not sure yet as The exact location will make a difference in that as well. And that will also be influenced by an area of high pressure over Canada and exactly how far south that goes. So, if you live in the mid Atlantic, however, it looks pretty certain that you will see several days of rain. So, not expecting much in the way of sunshine as we head to next week. Uh, That's for the Carolinas as well as further north into Maryland, New Jersey, and even farther west back towards Appalachians. uh, We could see you know a kind of a gloomy week it will we'll definitely see periods of rain the clouds and rain will keep temperatures cooler as well which maybe some people like or if you were looking for more of a summer pattern at this point you're, you're not going to get it this week but <laughs> but yeah, i mean it's it's one of those interesting uh situations where you have multiple pieces in the atmosphere coming together that will impact each other and will determine exactly who sees the most rain and exactly uh, when that system will kick out at this point, it looks like it will linger into the later part of this week.
0: And Linda, talk a little bit more about some of the coastal impacts we'll see.
1: Right. So it won't just be days of rain in for inland areas with the wind coming onshore as well. For continuous periods of time, we'll see high surf develop. We'll see some coastal erosion possible. We'll see rip currents throughout the southeast and into the mid-Atlantic coasts. And with that, we also could see some at least minor coastal flooding in some areas, particularly those prone towards coastal flooding. So it will be one of those multi-faceted systems where we will have the risk for rain, wind, as well
0: as watching the coast for potential impacts as well. Well, you know, this area just got a short tease because they had such cold weather. A little bit of a break and it's like hallelujah and then oh now there's something. <laughs> it's right exactly it really is just a tease because you know they had you know we had some late
1: season snow and, and finally it seemed we just had the warmest temperatures of the season so far for some locations at the end of this week and then yeah it's like a door got closed and it's just uh just a joke kind of like ha, you, you thought you were in for a nice spell of weather and
0: yeah not so much not <laughs> and i want to point out too now we are recording this on Saturday. And this is before we have an entity called Arthur. But by the time people are listening to this, uh, there certainly may be Arthur that is in the Atlantic. So I just wanted to add that.
1: just keep checking back with your forecast, because once we do have that what we're expecting to be, Arthur, we'll have a better idea of the forecast, that track, which will help to, you know, finalize the track of the next low pressure system as we head towards this week. So things do change as we, as we all know, in in this business, uh, you definitely need to stay on top of any changes
0: in the days ahead. Well, that's the interesting thing about weather, just sort of always changing, <laughs> <Yes>. isn't it? <laughs> well, and what are the other big stories that you're looking at this week, Linda?
1: Yeah, so with that omega pattern, in between uh, the two areas, of low pressure that we'll be watching will be a big ridge of high pressure, and that will bring a surge of warm temperatures. So we will see some areas we'll see above average temperatures. We're talking parts of the interior west as we head towards Sunday, and then spreading into parts of the Northern Plains as we head into the early part of this week. So we'll see 70s and 80s spreading farther north. So in those locations, they can expect a warm start to the week. Now, as you head a bit farther west, There's another area of low pressure that's also kind of going to get stuck. So it's going to linger for a couple of days, bringing some rain to the northwest as well as into parts of northern and even central California and some snow in the higher elevations, including the Sierra. And this is actually great news because parts of the northwest and northern California in particular are in drought conditions. So they could use the, the moisture and we could always benefit from additional snowfall since we saw less snowfall than average over the course of this past season in the Sierra, adding to that snowpack at this time of year is a huge benefit for them since we're heading towards
0: the dry season. Well, that's right. And people that don't live in that part of the country might not realize that, yes, we are headed into the dry season. And it's so important to have that snowpack out there before you go into the dry season. And I think what's really Interesting this year is well, this may be the last hurrah. So, this is kind of the last thing going into that dry season, very likely. But what's really interesting to me is that this year we're not only combining the risk of wildfires, which we get if it's too dry, but we're adding that to COVID 19. And I think that that could really kind of complicate things because if somebody's suffering with respiratory problems from the coronavirus, now you get smoke particles in the air because of wildfires that can make things so much worse.
1: Right? Like, yeah, if you're already having trouble breathing, the last thing you need is more particles in the air. So that will definitely be an added concern there. And, you know, in general, of course, you're also more worried about, you know, your first responders, are you going to have less first responders available because they are sick, or you have to spread them out differently due to concerns with the Coronavirus. So it is definitely one of those situations that Uh, will be more complicated as we head in towards the fire season that will, uh, I think, require people to plan earlier and to kind of rethink their plans and maybe have a plan B or even a plan
0: C. That's true. And Linda, you and I both were listening in on a conference this week on wildfires. And it was very interesting because, um, you know, they were talking even about the command centers. Instead of having one big Mm -hmm. command center, they might need to have a lot of mini command centers. And firefighters Mm -hmm. may need to kind of uh, be quite separated from others. So they might have to go out there with, enough water meals and and so forth to last them for a while
1: right it will be really interesting and I really am hoping that it's not a bad wildfire season for, for yes. or for many reasons uh, right. but it definitely is it's brings a whole new list of concerns you know evacuations where do people mm-hmm. go right? have more evacuation centers, how do you get them there? Uh, Hopefully, this last bit of moisture will help uh, give a little bit more time before we start to see any big fires develop in the West, at least.
0: Let's hope so. Now, let's expand our talk a little bit here to go global, because um, there's a lot happening around the world, too. And, And, you know, something that really I know is a concern to all of us is what's happening in the Bay of Bengal. And we are looking at a tropical cyclone that is heading toward an area that, while it has the world's largest refugee camp, and the weather there is a real big concern. So fill us in on that, Linda.
1: Yeah, so we are seeing a system develop in the Southern Bay of Bengal, and it is expected to strengthen, and it could potentially even rapidly intensify. As the waters there are very warm, so conditions are favorable for further strengthening as we head over the weekend and into early part of next week. And it's unfortunately going to track northward and head towards areas. At this point, it looks northeastern India, Bangladesh, potentially northwestern Myanmar. But For the most part, Bangladesh seems to be in the bullseye at this point, and that is a region that we we don't really need to see a potentially powerful cyclone tracking in that region as it will bring potential for destructive storm surge, flooding, even farther inland areas, flooding, heavy rain, and of course the wind concerns as well. But in those areas, that water coming ashore in low-lying areas is a serious concern.
0: They're really vulnerable there. And you know what is interesting, too, um, that people may not know is if you look at the Bay of Bengal, it's kind of shaped like a triangle. So it's almost like a funnel. And so it really can funnel that water up. Plus, because it's so shallow, it can push that water up on shore and create a bigger problem than it would somewhere else.
1: Exactly. So it just adds to those populations where they already are in uh, not the best structures. So that is very prob- problematic. And anytime, I know whenever I see a, a potentially a strong system heading in that direction, it becomes very worrisome. And you kind of get that sinking feeling right. in your stomach that this, this could be bad. And given covid 19 as well. I mean, that adds just a whole new layer of uh, concern. It's a worrisome weather pattern as we're heading in towards uh, early to middle part of this week there.
0: And, you know, I know, Nikki, you can talk more about to the impacts.
2: Yeah. Um, so this is a Rohingya refugee camp located. They, there are a bunch of camps located right on the coast of the Bay of Bengal there. And one of them, Cox's Bazaar, is home to almost one million people. And when you're talking about, yeah, one million people and so people there fled from Myanmar in 2017. That's the majority of the population there. And they've been living there for about three years. And just two days ago, it was confirmed that two people there have tested positive for coronavirus. And so we know what that means. We've been covering right. this story. We know that they those two people could have been spreading it without realizing it for up to two weeks. And so officials there have tried to, you know, they've quarantined the two, of course, that were tested and in their contact tracing to try and see who that they, they had contact with. But it's just so crowded there. And uh, one little tidbit that I saw aid workers told Reuters that people are living 40,000 to 70,000 people per square kilometer, which is about wow. a third of a mile. So wow. you're talking wow. about almost double the population density of the diamond princess ship. So we know the diamond princess oh was gosh. where, mm-hmm. right. So that's where coronavirus just spread and spread and spread. And, you know, I, I just can't even imagine how they're going to contain this, the, you know, the coronavirus itself. And now they have this cyclone coming towards them. It's just, it's a crazy situation. In Bangladesh, there are 21,000 cases of coronavirus confirmed and over 300 people have died there and there aren't many ventilators and I'm sure the refugee camp is not going to have the the resources for this. So you've got
0: two huge (laughs) catastrophes potentially happening at once. Right. Um, And while we're talking about the coronavirus, let's get into that a little bit more with weather because it is impacting both uh, affecting the weather and weather forecasting. And I know the two of you both can talk about that as well.
2: Yeah. um, Well, what's really interesting is it's affecting our weather forecast too, which I didn't know until I talked to our um, awesome meteorologist and writer, Bob Henson, about it. I did an interview with him about how weather forecasting in the does affect the coronavirus. And it's super interesting because it actually involves airplanes, which I did not know that we used commercial airline flights to get weather forecasts, but we do. And that's really the fact that less planes are flying has
0: affected how our forecast um, planes and ships.
2: Yeah, right. Right. And so, yeah, so we can listen to that interview coming up now.
3: I'm here with Bob Henson, meteorologist and writer for Weather Underground and Weather.com. He runs the Cat 6 blog for Weather Underground and is just full of awesome knowledge about weather and meteorology and is way smarter than me. So welcome to the Weather Channel podcast.
4: Oh, thanks, Nikki. I'm not so sure about that last statement. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Um, So I think really, I just wanted to start by reflecting on how much work has changed for us since you know this whole thing started it's incredible we never really got a chance to work together so i'm really glad we got it we got some time to sit down and chat
4: i am too this is the first first time we've had a, a conversation in depth like this so yeah, it's, it's yeah. Really, really neat I've, I've seen your icon a million times on slack but you know
3: <laughs> <I just have laughs> yes.
4: to, able to, to converse at some length
3: and coronavirus has affected a lot of other things too Um, basically everything at this point. Like we, we have wild animals popping up in huge cities. We've got Paris Agreement level emissions reductions in spots all around the world. And the one thing I truly never thought that coronavirus would affect is the weather forecast, honestly. I, it's just so surprising to me. So were you surprised by this?
4: Well, I wouldn't say I was shocked, but, you know, maybe a little bit surprised. But, you know, we tend to think of the weather system that gives us our forecasts as this finely tuned machine that draws mm-hmm. on all kinds of mechanized processes and uh, brings in a meteorologist at the end to look at everything and, and weigh in and make their forecast. But all those parts and pieces uh, rely on a lot of other things, and one of them is is air travel. And this has really been uh, something that has taken off, no pun intended, especially in the last 10 years. Uh, we've seen uh, just huge, huge volumes of weather data coming from the flights that, that you and I and other people take all over the place all over the time. Th- those really have a big role to play in uh, the what, the data that goes into weather forecast models.
3: Yeah, and what kinds of data do these airplanes pick up?
4: Well. I'd say the two most important ones are wind speed and direction and humidity, because both those are real important to figuring out what's going on uh, in the upper parts of the atmosphere. Uh, You know, people talk about the jet stream, and that's uh, hugely important as to where uh, major storm systems are going to be heading. Uh, But you really need to know the winds at at various levels. And you want to know the humidity because it's the, the moisture at different heights of the atmosphere that has a lot to do with, for example, whether you'll get thunderstorms or not and how strong the storms might be. And so yeah, the um, uh, you know, air, aircraft have been hugely helpful in getting that kind of information because we don't have little weather stations perched, you know, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 feet up.
3: Right, and are these just regular aircrafts that just I would take on a flight to New York, for example?
4: They are, yep. Yeah, commercial uh, passenger flights are, are a big part of it. Now, cargo planes like UPS are also a big part of it. And that's one bright spot is that Uh, Cargo planes have continued to fly during the COVID era because people have still needed stuff, of course. So those flights haven't been hit as hard as passenger flights. And I'm speaking in terms of getting the weather data, of course, from the Paris Agreement perspective, there's good things about not having so many flights and so many emissions, but for weather data, having the cargo flights are, are really helpful, but we've still lost more than half right. the the weather data from flights, uh, not only in the U.S. but around the world.
3: So, how were people really getting information before there were airplanes? You know, I know that weather balloons exist, but but it wasn't all that accurate, right?
4: Yep. The short answer is we just didn't have as much information. Now, satellites you can use to infer uh, wind speed, for example, by by watching where the clouds are moving, you can say something about global winds and. So that's become an increasingly big thing. But if we look at forecast accuracy, for example, back looking back to the 90s when we didn't really have this kind of volume of aircraft data, forecasts now, a seven-day forecast is about as accurate as a three- or four-day forecast was in the 90s. So in that sense, we've doubled our forecast accuracy in the last 30 years and that has been this era when we've gotten more and more data from aircraft.
3: And so how much errors do you think that we'll see from this? Is the forecast going to change at all? Or are we going to see any kinds of crazy impact from this?
4: Well, fortunately, there's uh, some redundancy in the system now. You know, we have better and better satellite data and there are other sources. And And I think models are increasingly good at kind of reading between the lines and filling in gaps. Um, Just like if you're talking to someone and all of a sudden, a truck goes by, and you miss three or four words. You can kind of, you know, deduce what they were saying, right? Mm-hmm. To some extent, the models will be able to 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 fill in those little gaps left by the aircraft. Uh, I think uh, some of the bigger challenges will be short-term models because. Uh, these are the ones that are used increasingly to predict thunderstorms, right? And these models are updated every hour. Uh, now, weather balloons are usually launched only every 12 hours. So that gives you a number of periods in between where you don't have fresh aircraft or you don't have fresh uh, balloon data necessarily. So I think it'll right. be hit harder, but I think the, the longer range models, the ones that tell us, say, a week from now, we might have a a big cold wave or heat wave, those aren't going to be hit as hard. There will be some loss of accuracy, but probably not so much that you would notice just, you know, about your everyday activities. You know, it's, (laughs) you know, the kinds of, you know, those kinds of errors sometimes hit things like utilities harder because utilities, just a single degree or two forecast error can make a big difference in how much heating or cooling you're preparing for. So.
3: Oh, interesting! Interesting, and it's, so it's not going to be like a ten degree difference when it comes to a, a forecast for like New York City, for
4: example. I wouldn't say on average. Now, there might be one day out of a period of a month or two where there's one weather event that that you know gets missed a little bit more because of this. People I'm sure will go back, there's gonna be some good probably master's theses and dissertations on uh, exactly what kind of effect this has. It's really like a a science experiment going on, you know, along with so many other things in the COVID era.
3: Totally. And I also, that made me think of another question. So if it's predicting thunderstorms, the the frequency of the data coming in from aircraft are predicting a lot of thunderstorms, would that have any effect on severe weather at all in the sense of tornadoes? Like, will it impact the ability to warn for a tornado? Uh,
4: I wouldn't say in a major sense, but I think a, a little bit of that advanced ha- heads up that we now get, the forecasters get from these short range models. For example, they give you a good sense now of, say, three to four to five hours from now. Like, will there be a line of storms? Will it be a few isolated storms? And that kind of information may be a little less reliable. You know, they, they might put those storms in a different place or uh, have them less or less extensive than they will end up being. So uh, that'll be a little bit of a forecast for challengers. Uh, for forecasters, rather. But uh, again, I think the, they'll use their noggins and, and do the best they can to work around that. So I don't think you're going to see massive uh, you know, errors cropping up in, in your day-to-day forecast.
3: Gotcha. And so this is something that has happened before, right? So we only kind of know about this problem because it has
4: happened before. That's right. In fact, and the event was Um,
3: 9-11.
4: As you know, um, flights were completely stopped across North America for a couple of days. There was certainly a bit of a loss in weather forecast quality. Now, there wasn't as heavy reliance back then on the aircraft data. It was maybe only a few percent of what we have now.
3: Yeah, and so that makes me think, you know, what what does happen if this goes on? So it it's made me realize myself that I working from home, I you know, used to drive everywhere, I would fly places, I would go and you know, in the past few months I really have realized how little we really need to go Places and so, if this becomes a, a trend, and we don't see the economy or the travel economy opening back up in the next year or two or three, what what are we going to do? What what does weather forecasting do about
4: that? Well, you know, these have always <laughs> been uh, what you might call uh, observations of opportunity because uh, we haven't put these planes up there specifically to observe the weather. It's just been a convenient way to do so. So. I think if, if flight levels stay down for a few years, and I, I agree with you, I think they might. I'm not so sure people will be hustling to get back on airplanes, you know, at, at the old levels right away. Right. <laughs> uh, probably gradually. But I think we um, just have to be more creative at using other sources. Like I was talking about satellites, um, satellite pictures at different wavelengths can provide a lot of information. And I think over time, they might be able to figure out ways... Uh, to fill in those gaps. And there hasn't been much pressure to do so because the planes have been there, right? Uh, necessity yeah. is the mother of invention. So, uh, you know, when we can't see each other in person, we have Zoom calls.
3: Yeah, so, exactly. Uh,
4: yeah. So there will be solutions, I'm sure.
3: It's really interesting to me how how life has just completely changed, to actually kind of make me think with climate change it might actually be a good thing for us to not be flying around so much if we've already had this much you know emissions loss so i i'm willing to to you know give up a degree or two of my forecast for that
4: (laughs) for for a degree or two of long-term temperature rise right
3: (laughs) right exactly 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 well thank you so much for doing this
4: yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad we could talk about it. It's, you know, it's an important way to think about uh this this forecast system we have and that we rely on every day that there's a lot of there's a lot of science and a lot of observation behind it and uh you know we can't ever totally take it for granted, you know.
2: That was my interview with meteorologist and writer for Weather Underground, Bob Henson, and you can find his stuff
0: at the Cat Six blog on weatherunderground.com. That is really interesting because, yeah, you do think, okay, great, we're getting rid of all this pollution. It's a positive thing. And you kind of forget about some of the effects that occur because of that.
2: It's really made me think also about how just the things that I've done in in my life have changed so much. You know, I used to be going to the grocery store every other day you know just mm-hmm. because i forgot something and now mm-hmm. i'm in the grocery store and i feel like the pressure is mounting every time i'm in an aisle like <laughs> oh my god what am i going to forget this time yes. and i have to go yes. back i'm trying trying not to go and i think it really it's something that we can sort of plan ahead and and keep in our daily lives going forward i think a lot of this is also going to be in legislation right like people are going to see governments are going to see that we are really solving a lot of the issues that, that come along with, with climate change we're we're, you know, reducing our emissions and, and it's affecting a lot about the climate. I don't know if you guys have seen any changes in your lives because of this.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. I I definitely have not filled up my gas tank as often as I used to. You know, I mean, first not driving to work. I mean, we're all working from home now. <laughs> so that alone definitely saves a ton of gas and not going on, you know, random little trips with my family on, on weekends. You know, that, That's adding up to a savings there, too. But I I do wonder how long it will last, like once people start to get back to their lives, like how long will this break in pollution and emissions? uh, Will it go right back up? Will it get worse because more people are going to be driving their cars instead of taking public transportation?
0: Um, I don't know. So it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out how quickly it rebounds. I know oh, I was driving the other day and I noticed that I, I looked down and it said 45 miles till empty. And, and I do get pretty good gas mileage because I've got a hybrid car, but I realized that I have not put gas in my car for at least two months. Wow. Can you believe that? Yeah. Right. <laughs> <It's amazing.
2: laughs> I know. I, I
0: haven't, I, I haven't me. put gas
2: in my car since this started. Since yes. this, Since Yeah. I just haven't. I went out to start my car the other day and it wouldn't start. The battery oh, was yeah. dead because yeah, I hadn't be started, started it in that. so wow. long.
1: I, I know. Say, My I husband did, was like, oh, come on. <laughs> I did get gas uh, last week because I had a feeling gas prices were going to start to go up. So I mm. had about like half a tank. So I said, you know what? I'm going to go out <laughs> and, and just top it off now while before gas prices start to uh, slowly uh, head back up.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It is awesome talking to both of you as well. And thank you so much, Nikki and Linda, for joining me. And where can people find you two on social media? So
1: I can be found at, at LindaLam08 on Twitter.
2: And I can be found
0: at Nikki Lee NikkiLeeBuds on Twitter as well. And you can find me on Facebook and Twitter as well. And thank you to all of you for listening to the Weather Channel podcast. And if you like what you heard please subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more weather stories and regular updates to your local forecast, visit weather.com or down the Weather Channel app. That's where you can see me. And again, I'm Heather Tesh. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope that you'll see or actually hear us next time. Bye-bye.